And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out our weekly emails where we share actionable B2B, website and marketing tips, useful guides, podcasts, and more. You can give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email. Today we've got a special episode. I am joined by Tim Solu. Tim is the CMO over at Ahrefs. Tim, welcome to the show, sir. How are we doing? Hey, Sam. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem at all, man. Looking forward to diving in because today we're going to be sharing the juicy secrets of how Ahrefs has bootstrapped to 100 million plus since they uh, originally founded around 2010. Um, so really excited to, to dive in because I know you've been with the company about seven years or so, Tim, and kind of learn some of the ins and outs of exactly what you brought on, some of the strategies you brought into play to the business to see the exponential growth that it's seen since then. Um, so first and foremost, I, I guess a bit of a tough one, Tim, because I don't like a, like to beat around the bush too much, but how come Ahrefs has avoided investment? Like, why did they decide to stay bootstrapped? Uh, so this would be a good question to our founder, uh, not myself, <laughs> because I wasn't the one making those decisions. But uh, as far as I know, and from all the conversations that we had with him over the years, yeah. Uh, first of all, he had some smaller successful businesses before Ahrefs. So right. he was able to fund... Uh, Hrefs with uh, some of his own money, uh, and then, as if I'm not mistaken, Hrefs was profitable uh, after a year of development. So okay. uh, once they released the first version and people started signing up, uh, the project was profitable. And uh, yeah, Dmitry just didn't see why he would need what he would need the investment for, and he didn't want to give up control of the company and I guess he didn't have any goals or aspirations to sell the company uh, so I guess that's how that's how it came to be uh, and eventually yeah we were approached by lots of different uh, VC funds yeah uh, who expressed interest in uh, investing uh, in HS but that happened at a stage well Dmitry, first of all, he never proactively reached out to any investors in the early days of the company uh, when most founders do it because they don't have any funds of their own uh, to, to scale their company, to, to take it off the ground. Yeah. But with Dmitry, uh, he didn't do it. He took the company off the ground himself. And once when Ahrefs was getting momentum, VC started reaching out to us. But at this point, the margins of the business were big enough that Dmitry had enough money to reinvest in business every month to the point that he didn't understand if someone would uh, throw another, I know, 10 or 20 million into the company, what it would change. Mm. So when HFs got traction, we didn't have a money problem. We had like hiring problems, we had engineering problems. But we didn't have problems with money, so uh, I guess 
it was never a big challenge for Dmitry to to have funds, so he never was looking for funding for funding, and he enjoys being the only kind of decision maker without any other stakeholders that would push him to do things that he doesn't want to do. And I think this is also a very important part of it. He wants to make decisions that he think he thinks are best, not yeah. some decisions which would make a, a bunch of VCs uh, richer. And fair play to him. I mean, he's like you say, he's kept the company extremely lean with under 100 employees working directly on, on AHREFs and extremely profitable at the same time it works out to over clear of 1 million uh, revenue per employee um on the company which is yeah amazing stats so with that said tim you came on board in the business was it around 2015 2016 yeah, around 2015. that period gotcha so what revenue was the company at when you first joined i don't remember exactly i think it was in the ballpark of 10 million it it might have been a little under 10 million or a little over, but that was the ballpark. Got it. And since then, now we're at almost tenfold of that, I think, kind of 100 million plus. Yeah, yeah, over, over tenfold, basically. Awesome. So what were, when you came on board as CMO, Tim, what were some of the first steps that you put into play when you joined the organization? Uh, well, I stayed an only marketing person uh, in the company for quite a while, for a year, maybe, maybe even for two years. I didn't need to hire anyone because I myself was learning what is going on with the industry, what is going on with the company, trying to better understand what kind of product people in our market need. Because if you think of the word marketing, lots of mm. people think of marketing as promotion. But the root of the word marketing is market. You need to study the market, what it wants, and create the product that market would pay money for. So uh, it's a very uh, th there's a very famous case in marketing where Coca-Cola tried to make a drink that was sweeter than Pepsi. So basically, they created a new product, but that was marketing. So creating a product is a large part of marketing. And I was... Uh, in the first few years, I was investing a lot of my efforts and attention to better understand how people are using our product and what right. we can improve in our product to make more people use it and how we can uh, educate the market about the awesomeness of our product. So these were the things that I was figuring out uh, in the first couple of years. Got it. So how people actually use the tool and how you could educate them. Any, any, I guess, ways that worked super well for you, Tim, when it came to doing that, when it came to learning the market? Uh, so talking to customers, uh, as boring as it sounds, but I did quite a bit of it. And uh, many people think that they talk to customers, but they actually don't. Uh, unless mm. you jump on a Skype call with someone who is looking to use your software and start start answering a question by question, you, you don't get a good understanding of your target audience, the language they speak, uh, what they do understand about your product, what they don't understand about your product. So for me, I had uh, a few epiphanies when I was talking to uh, newbie people who were new to SEO, but they still wanted to 
pay for our product because they wanted to improve traffic to their websites. And I just realized what lack of knowledge of SEO they have. Right. They were already ready to pay money for a premium SEO tool without good understanding of SEO. So that helped me to realize that we need to provide more educational materials and we need to show people how to use Ahrefs to achieve different SEO goals. Uh, that's that's what uh, kind of predetermined our blogging strategy. That's what predetermined our uh, video strategy. Uh, and overall, educational content became like one of the pillars of Ahrefs. One of the pillars is the product itself. Uh, mm. Another pillar is educational content that we produce. Got it. So that initial phase, you took two years or so to to really understand the market, understand how people were using their tool. And then that showed you that you needed to educate the market further on what, what Ahrefs can do, the value you can provide, but at the same time, actually be a useful resource, it sounds like, to your prospects, to your potential customers. Um, and then was that what unleashed the, kind of right now, of course, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers across different social channels, across your YouTube, across other different channels as well. So what were some of the, what were some of the key takings? Like how did you dissect that information and say, look, based on these learnings, based on this customer research, I think we need to do X, Y, Z. And then in turn, that's kind of share with leadership that you think that it's going to bring these results to the table. So uh, a lot of the decisions, if not all of the decisions that, well, okay, let's use the word most of the decisions we make at Ahrefs are not very scientific. Okay. Uh, we usually follow things called logic and common sense. So whenever we see, for example, uh, people in our industry discussing something on Reddit, uh, some use case or some challenge that they're trying to solve, and we see a way how we can make this easier for them with the help of our product. If we mm. develop a certain feature, uh, we just go and develop it uh, because the fact that people, for example, on Reddit are discussing how to solve a certain problem in certain ways and we have a better solution, it's already kind of a proof of concept for us. Uh, but we also rely on intuition a lot. So it's one thing to get feedback from different channels, from uh, from following some of the thought leaders in the space, from seeing how your customers do their jobs, from seeing what your competitors are doing, uh, etc. But it's another thing to use your intuition and pair that with uh, development decisions, with marketing decisions, because for every feature, there's a cost to develop it. Uh, there's yeah. opportunity cost of working on any other feature that you have in your roadmap. Uh, and there's also some strategy of how you're going to advertise this feature and explain it to people. So how easy it is, uh, how easy this feature is to understand to people, how to reach people uh, with this functionality. So there's a lot of things that you have to consider if you want to make an effective decision and what we realized is that the more you try to codify making decisions, the more you try to bring structure to it. For example, have an enormous uh, Google spreadsheet uh, with lots of columns for like making scores. Okay, this feature 
has business score of that, development score of that, marketing score yeah. of that, blah, 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 blah. So the more you try to uh, analyze it like this, the more you get into analysis paralysis and you just fail to wrap your hand. For example, if you have 20 features in your roadmap and for every feature you come up with, I know, five metrics that you want to uh, analyze, uh, it's just in incomprehensible. So we rely on our intuition. We feel that certain feature makes more sense from all those perspectives than others. And this mm. is how we make decisions. So the process is not scientific. It's more about, and it's more about experience as well, because if you uh, release a few features and they fail, and then you release a few other features and they are uh, received and they are received very well by the market, you start to develop this intuition, what the market wants, what the market needs, and eventually you start making better and better decisions. Because if you spend all your time analyzing what you can release instead of releasing stuff, uh, you would be moving very, very slow. And this is something I, I actually today I was listening a cool interview uh, of Mr. Beast and Lex Friedman, and they were actually okay. discussing how Elon took over Twitter. And I enjoyed how uh, Mr. Beast pointed out that since Elon took over, uh, Twitter started releasing all sorts of things, some good things, mm. some bad things, but they're trying, they're moving fast. But if you look at Facebook, it takes them ages to implement some new features. So basically we like the the kind of Elon Musk mindset where we just release more stuff instead of overanalyzing or instead of getting deep in bureaucracy. Got it. Got it. So moving fast, but it sounds like at the same time you were taking insights that made sense, like you were looking at Reddit threads and seeing what people were talking about and looking for snippets of what you could then maybe problems you could fix or think points you could address in the actual tools and the and the features you're releasing. Yeah. Cool, man. So with that said, let's talk about some of the, the main channels. We touched on them then, but in terms of this educational content, and in terms of moving forward, once you've done your initial kind of market research and understanding customers, like what were some of the the key channels that you knew you, to, you needed to put into play to bring on this growth? Because now Ahrefs has got thousands and thousands of users signing up each and every week. So what were some of the channels that really saw growth? And at the same time, I guess this is a two part question, like. How did, was it, was it a similar process in terms of how you release features? Like, did you just put things out and see what stuck, see what hit, or was this quite carefully researched? I.e., we know we need to do this channel, this channel, this channel. Um, this is a rather complex question. Mm. Uh, the way I see it is that uh, Hrefs only has uh, two growth channels or two customer acquisition channels. These are SEO and word of mouth. And the thing is, those things are connected. Uh, and they're connected with the, with the term called content. Both for, for SEO, you need to create content, which will then show up in search engines. And for word of mouth, if you want people to talk about you, you need to first educate them and make them successful so that they would uh, talk about their success to other people. Or you need to put some talking points uh, in their heads about like what makes your product better or about the use cases of your product or about the problems it helps you solve. So by creating content, 
that helps our potential customers to be successful uh, and educates them on the awesomeness of our product, we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. On mm. one hand, we are creating lots of content that can rank in Google and bring us consistent search traffic month over month over month. On the second hand, as people read this content and get knowledge, which is useful, which is effective, which has utility, they naturally go and share this content with others. For example, uh, let's say I'm the head of marketing at some company. Uh, I've read an article at HFs about how to perform a certain SEO test. And then I go and teach my team what they need to do. Then one of my team members move on, moves on and uh, goes to another company where they become a team lead. But they know the process that worked that initially comes from an article at HFs. So this is how content fuels word of mouth. Uh, but another, uh, another, another thing that fuels word of mouth is the actual product. Because if the product doesn't help you to achieve your goals, if it's not effective, people won't talk about it. So at the end, it's a combination of everything. But yeah, this is what we, uh, this is where we spend the majority of our efforts. We didn't focus too much on things like advertising. We didn't, our paid advertising budget was super low historically and still super low. We didn't spend a lot of money uh, on ads. Right. We didn't do any A-B testing. So we didn't try to create landing pages and figure out which landing page uh, is bringing us more leads. Uh, we, didn't, we, we didn't do any conversion optimization. For example, if we know that, that a certain article is generating lots of traffic, we didn't try to calculate how many leads it gets and how to optimize this article to maximize the leads that we're getting. So we didn't focus on those things. We focused on making our customers successful and creating basically content that can rank in Google and that can educate people so that they would go and talk to other people. So I, this is how I see our uh, growth engine. Got it. And what do you feel? It's a great point there. You, you focused on actually making, <clears throat> excuse me, your content successful. What do you feel makes great SEO content, Tim? This is a very broad question, but nowadays like there's so many people with their own ideas on what formulates SEO content. You raised some good points there that many companies will focus well, on the CRO I, I can tell you what, yes, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I can tell you what definitely <laughs> doesn't make uh, SEO content successful and that is Ch chat GPT. So it definitely <laughs> won't very, help you very hot topic right now. Content. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, for example, right now in our marketing department, I don't see an application for things like ChatGPT, and we don't really use any of those AI kind of tools uh, right. to, to help us create content. The way I see successful content, the content that stands out, the content that people would talk about, the content that would capture attention because some people are throwing the term attention economy and they do believe that we are in attention economy who has the most attention can monetize that attention basically. And uh, that is unique content. If you can say something unique, if you can say something that hasn't been said before, that gets attention. Uh, and all those tools like chat GPT and all those optimization tools that kind of promise you to create better content all they do is they help you make the content that is similar to existing content. So mm. for me, this is uh, a wrong strategy. 
you have to create unique content that is not similar to what's already there. You have to say something that hasn't been said before. And you to, to say something that hasn't been said before, you oftentimes need to do something first, get first-hand experience, and then talk about it in your content. So is that something that Ahrefs kind of has, has strived to, to do in terms of putting out unique information that's perhaps not anywhere available else, elsewhere on the internet? Yeah, we always try to, to work with our own data that we have to produce interesting research and to come up with interesting statistics. For example, uh, how long does it take to rank in Google? Uh, this is a common question in the SEO industry. And we decided that we have enough data to analyze it because we have the snapshots of Google search results for millions of keywords. And we can go back in time and see for the page that is ranking number one right now, when did it first appear at position number 99 or something like that? And this way we were able to do a small research study and answer the question, how long does it take to rank in Google? Uh, and that study was quite successful when it was published. It uh, got a lot of references from different websites and a lot of people uh, were using our uh, numbers that we got in this study uh, as kind of proof for their clients that uh, results may vary uh, depending on different factors. And uh, we still do try to create unique, perform unique experiments uh, and try to study the data that we have to, to come up with interesting insights or takeaways uh, mm. that no one has done before. And I think this is very important uh, if you want to be successful at creating content. Yeah, it's great advice. It's great advice. tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on google for the main services or products you offer or maybe you're already investing in seo or marketing but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads or perhaps you already work with a web or seo agency but they're just not getting you the results they promised let's fix that Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. Now, in terms of when you started educating the market, putting out this content, trying to be as, as unique, as insightful as you could um, with two main objectives, kind of ranking on search engines, but also growing through word of mouth. Was there any ever any skepticism, i.e. this could be very, very good or it could be very, very bad as we're basically going all in on organic content, but we're not putting any paid spend behind it? Was anyone in the organization ever like, maybe we should chuck a load of cash at ads as well, just as a backup plan, or maybe we should do this other channel just as a backup plan? Um or was it always like, we know this is going to work because we've talked to our customers. We know this is the right path. Uh, like I said, we uh, like to rely on things like logic and common sense. Mm. And what does logic tell us? Logic tell us that there's a lot of search demand in Google for things related to SEO. 
how to do keyword research, how to build links, how to do SEO audit of my website, uh, how to come up with better topics for blog, etc., etc., etc. There's tons of things that people are searching in Google uh, in regards to SEO. And we can integrate our product while answering those questions because our product helps with a lot of SEO-related things. So thinking logically, if we are not creating this content and if we are not uh, investing enough effort to make sure that this content would rank at the top, then someone else would be ranking at the top and people would go to some other website and learn about yep. those things from some other website and start using some other tool that is promoted uh, in those articles. So whether or not it works in the uh, short time frame, so for example, like half a year from now, if we start our content strategy, would we start getting traffic? We don't know. But like in three years from now, where we want to be, do we want to have lots of content that answers those questions and that, that is ranking high at Google and brings us lots of consistent traffic? Yeah, we do. So even in the short term, we won't be able to get a lot of leads or sales from the strategy. It still makes might sense to do it, to push on it, because we're here for the long run. We want to build a great company uh, and we want to invest in channels that make sense. Yeah, like, and again, uh, one doesn't exclude exclude the other. So even if we had a budget that we want to spend on acquiring paid traffic, why cannot we work on our content marketing and SEO at the same time? So one person is running ads, another person is writing articles. I don't see a problem. Why it has to be one or the other? But it, logically, it makes sense if people search for something and you can be the answer, then you should be ranking. Mm. Got it. So looking at us, I was doing a bit of research before our chat and it looks like between 2016 and 2020, your revenue scaled massively. Like it went from 16 mil to 88 mil. Um, was that just because you were doubling down on this content strategy and all of a sudden it was hitting a peak of when you're really capturing serious demand in the market? Or was there something else that went on internally that you think kind of spearrocketed this growth? Uh, it's a combination of things, of course. It's it's not uh, we cannot attribute uh, that growth to one specific specific thing. So uh, we're going back to the same things that I just uh, discussed. Sure. We continuously improved our product, and we made sure that our product actually helps people uh, with their problems, help helps them uh, save time, save money, uh, or do some things more effectively. Uh, we also created more and more educational content so that people who were interested to learn how to do something SEO related would come to us. And those two things, a product that helps people to be successful and education that educates people how to use our product to be successful, it fueled the word of mouth. And this just created a flywheel that kept spinning and spinning and spinning. And the more content we created, the more features we were adding, the more we sped up how the flywheel was uh moving got it man and in terms of your marketing department so what are some tips that you'd advise for anyone that's perhaps looking to to build out their own marketing team what would you say mm. has worked well for yourself tim 
uh, probably the best advice I can give is that if you want to delegate a certain task to someone and make sure that it would be executed flawlessly, find someone who is already executing this task flawlessly somewhere else. Because it is much, much harder to simply hire some smart and capable person and teach them to do something as opposed to just notice a person who is doing a great job in some, at something and hire them and say, please do the same thing, but do it for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, but those people are a few. So it's very hard to find those people and it's very hard to persuade them to join your team. Uh, this is why things like brand and this is why things like building in public helps you because people naturally uh, want to come and work by your side because they know what kind of work you're doing and they want to learn from you and they want to kind of share uh, some of your success. But still, it's incredibly hard to uh, to get those kinds of people to, to your team. So the next advice I have is to have strong uh, workflows and SOPs, standard operating right. procedures, where you write down how a certain task or a certain goal should be achieved uh, in very small details. Uh, preferably if you do it yourself, if you do it yourself for a while and figure out all the, all the shortcomings, all the problems, all the uh, uh, hidden issues, and then you create a proper SOP, which you can teach to someone else. And even if this person leaves your team, you can pass an SOP to another person and they would figure it out, figure it out and do it. But still, it's not as effective as just finding someone who already is successful at something you need to be done and hiring that person. Yeah, that's that's always the trouble, right? Convincing them then to, to come onto your company yeah. to work with your brand. But then I suppose if you've got the brand reputation there, that that helps a lot. Um, we did have a question, actually, Tim. I put out that I was interviewing you. We had a question in from uh, someone who tunes in. They're asking, how do you balance brand with demand growth whilst trying to hit your revenue targets? Uh, I would love to uh, ask a question to this person. Uh, what is brand? <laughs> And what is demand growth? And uh, why does this person think that those things don't intersect? So when you're working on your demand growth, you're working on your brand and vice versa. When you're working on your brand, you're, you're working on demand growth. Like what is brand as far as I know is quite a tricky question. Uh, mm. Because for example, when people go to your support chat and they talk to a human being from your company, the way that this person is treating you is your brand. But is this the responsibility of marketing to create proper workflows and procedures for the customer support team to make sure that everything is on brand? So this gets tricky. And this depends on uh, every organization and uh, what kind of responsibilities the heads of different departments uh, think are theirs and what does... Uh, CEO of that company thinks about it. So yeah, it's a, it's a very tricky question. It depends of, on how every specific organization sees what is their brand and who is responsible for it and what is demand generation and, and who is responsible for it. So uh, I don't have uh, a more specific answer to this question than that. 
Well, I think you've covered it fairly well in some of your earlier responses as well when you've talked about the strategy that Ahrefs have taken with their content as well. Because so I think it, it does kind of play into that as well. Um, but Tim, but on a bit of a tangent here, what do you feel, uh, we touched on it a bit earlier, are some of the main pointers that the companies that really want to win an SEO in 2023, especially bearing in mind SEO is getting more and, com- more and more competitive unless you are in more of a fairly new market that's perhaps got more demand that you can capture that hasn't yet been snapped up by competitors. What do you think of the things you've mentioned, steer clear of chat GBT, but that, that aside, what are some of the main things that you should focus on for the businesses that really want to win and really want to capture the demand in organic search? So uh, SEO consists of generally three things. Uh, first is the content that you create. Uh, and if you make sure that you create content around the things that people are actually searching for, uh, you're already doing good. So that's the first step. Step: Make sure you create content about the things that people are searching for. I also touched upon the importance of creating unique content and not just taking the top 10 ranking articles and rewriting it and hoping that Google would favor your article over the existing ones. Uh, the second thing is uh, technical SEO. It's kind of fixing all the issues with your website, making sure it loads well, making sure it wo- works in mobile and stuff. Uh, but then again, uh, this is kind of responsibility of the web development team as well, because usually uh, SEO people don't really code websites themselves. They just give advice to uh, those who are building those websites on how to make them uh, better in the eyes of Google. Uh, and the third thing is backlinks. So you might have amazing content, the most unique content, the most original content in the world. And it can be about topics that people are searching for and your website can be technically sound. It, it will load fast. Everything would be good about it. Google will be able to crawl it. But if other websites are not linking to you and not validating that what you're talking about on your website is important, and this is what they do when they link to you, uh, Google will not know that whatever you have on your website is important. So you get you need to get links from other website, websites. But one thing I didn't see uh, people in the SEO space talk about enough is that by actually improving your business, by actually improving your product and making sure that your product has value to people, that people are, I know, more successful, happier and blah, 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 by using your product, you're actually generating uh, attention and demand and notoriety. So people might start linking to you just because of your product, just because you make a better product than everyone else or a more unique product than everyone else. And links are links. If you get enough links, thanks to your product, your content will flourish because your content doesn't necessarily need to get links like directly. If your website is important, if it gets a lot of links thanks to the product, then your content will automatically be authority because this content is is created by someone who created an amazing product. And this is something that I saw uh, from time to time in the comments to some of our articles, videos, and tweets. Uh, When we're talking about link building, people were saying, but you're HRFs. Lots of people are linking to you because you have this product, blah, blah, blah. But that's the point. Because we have this great product that lots of people in the space appreciate and link to, our content automatically gains credibility of the product. 
so it makes sense that our content would automatically rank better. So for people who are looking to be more successful at SEO, uh, I can advise to keep focusing on their business, keep making sure that their business is better than any alternatives, keep pushing the boundaries further, keep innovating, uh, because this brings notoriety. This brings mentions and links from other websites. And then when you create content, you're already an authority. So this content would automatically rank better in Google. Of course, I'm oversimplifying things a little bit, but essentially this is how it works and this is how it worked for Ahrefs specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's some great points. And I think that's something that's not really thought about enough, especially like you say, when it comes to link building, actually having a great offer, having a great product, having a great service. And when you are, which links back to pretty much everything we've talked about in this conversation with the content flywheel, that if you have got that great offer, if you have built up that brand, if you have educated the market, if you are showing top of organic search results when people are having questions around your offer, then you are going to be that brand. So when people are creating content that might have some relevance to you, chances are they're considering you to, to give you a link to direct to you, whatever that may be. So that's that's a really point that I, a really good point that I feel is probably lesser known when it comes to actually ramping up your SEO strategy. So yeah, I like that one. So Tim, just before we wrap things up, what's the what's the focus for Ahrefs for for the next year or so moving forward? I know you guys have got the Yep search engine working on in in the background, but what are some of the the main focuses? Is it is it all in on that? Is it still keep the content flywheel spinning, or any new ideas in the mixer? Uh, yeah, definitely, we'll keep doing what worked for us historically. We'll keep working on great educational content, uh, do some interesting experiments. Uh, do some interesting studies. Uh, but now as our content marketing team is more mature and the processes are more streamlined, uh, we can do some more interesting stuff, uh, the so-called more creative marketing, uh, again, with the goal of capturing attention, uh, but not necessarily on search engines, but maybe on social platforms like Twitter, Facebook, uh, etc., so uh, I cannot really make any spoilers of the actual projects <laughs> that we are going to announce this year. Uh, but there are a few projects that I'm super excited about. Uh, and I'm sure they are nothing like what people in our space have seen before. So uh, I'm very excited about launching those kind of creative uh, campaigns and see how our industry would react to that. Good man. Tim? That really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for for sharing the, some of the Ahrefs story insights and uh, yeah, coming on the show, man. So appreciate that. So with that said, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can connect with you, learn more about Ahrefs, and anything you'd like to share with our audience. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm most active on Twitter. This is where I'm sharing some bits of knowledge that I gain while working at Ahrefs. Uh, and yeah, if anyone is interested uh, to give a spin to Ahrefs, uh, I first recommend to find our YouTube channel, to go to YouTube, type in A-H-R-E-F-S, uh, and you'll find plenty of cool videos which show how to achieve different things with Ahrefs. Uh, and this will give you an idea of what you can do with our product and if you need it or not uh, at this stage of your I know, online marketing or online business journey. So that's about it. Nice one, Tim. Thanks once again, man. Enjoyed the chat. Thank you. 
Cheers. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating or review on your podcast channel is appreciated. Or if you're tuning on YouTube, a quick subscribe goes a long way. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one for more actionable B2B marketing advice to grow your business and grow your revenue. Thank you very much for tuning in.